Odd Man Rush podcast featuring Sean, Matt, and Ryan. Odd Man Rush podcast on LeafsWire.com. I'm Matt Nicola Antonio, joined by Sean O'Callaghan. We are live at the O'Callaghan, not live, but we are in person at the O'Callaghan residence today. Unfortunately, not being able to join by Ryan Rasudo. He is on the IR right now with, uh, I guess, a minor heart condition, and uh, we hope to have him back soon. Ryan, hopefully you uh, end up listening to this. Uh, all the best and get well soon, buddy. We're, uh, we're thinking about you and wishing you're here, but... Let's go to the Leafs, Sean, and uh, they had a lot of heart last night with a 3-1 win over the Ottawa Senators to creep back to six points out of eighth place in the Eastern Conference. But let's start with the game. Another very solid effort in net from James Reimer. James Reimer is uh, really starting to impress me. He He's looking to have found his game again, and he looks a lot calmer in the net, and he's making the big saves that he ne- needs to make, so... I, I like where his games uh, kind of come to, and you wonder if um, you know a bit of a fresh start under Carlisle was was that little bit of uh, uh, of something that he needed just to to get back on track after you know the the headshot or head injury, and um, and he he lost his game there for a bit. So I, I like where his games come from, or come, sorry, come to, and, um, and and I think you know if things keep up this way, then. You just ride them. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think for a lot of guys on this team, it was a matter of a fresh start with the with the coaching change. We saw Reimer didn't get a, a start under Carlisle until four or five games into his tenure, and that first start was in Florida last Tuesday. Not a very good performance in that game. That could have been that was a pretty poor overall team performance, um, but at the same time, also probably shaking off a little bit of rust, having not played in a couple of weeks. And now we're starting to see the uh, the Reimer who looked like James Reimer from last season. However, you have to raise the question: He seems to be like a lot of guys who have been on this team over the last couple of years, not being able to win games or perform well when it matters. Now that the Leafs are sort of out of it again, we see another strong performance from James Reimer. Why do you think that is? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's something to do with the, the pressure kind of coming off their shoulders, but it's it's frustrating as a fan to to uh, to watch these guys drop it when it's most necessary uh, to, to win games. And um, and then as soon as they seem to be officially out of it or... or uh, almost officially. Uh, almost out officially out of it, they, they turn it back on and... and um, you know the the way I look at it, I'm I'm never one to cheer for for tanking, and I've I've never liked the idea of that. But at the same time, I when when the season's gone and it's it's lost, and we've got our own draft picks, you, you have to question whether it's it's in the best interest to to win these games down the stretch. And I know um, that you are you're more of a fan of the tanking, I think, than I am. But I'll let no, you speak I'm, for yourself. No, I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of the tanking. I, you might be basing that on a lot of the tweets that you've seen over the last couple of weeks, where I've been extremely facetious with the the whole notion of uh, of tank nation. Um, 
it's just frustrating, like you said, because I, I think because it's happened so many times with this team over the last few years that they perform so poorly all year and then perform very well in the last month of the season and take themselves out of a bottom five pick and up into the seven to 13 range. And that almost seems like what they might be heading towards again this year with the win last night. I think they now sit around ninth overall, not an incredibly deep draft, but if you end up in those top five picks, all, all of the top five are probably going to be a good selection. And you also always have the chance of, of going up to number one. And I think a guy that they take in the top five would be a lot better to step into the lineup right away than somebody that they take between between six and ten. So I, I don't ever want to see the team lose, um, although I have stopped watching the games as of Thursday because I can't stand watching them lose anymore, and now they've started winning. So um, I'm not a fan of the tanking. It's it's just, you know, if you're going to go that far down, might as well stay that far down. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's, it's ridiculous it, to think that any of the players would ever purposely throw games. So I, I don't support the team purposely losing for that, uh, for that purpose. Yeah, no, I, that, that's true for sure. And do do you think it's um, possible that that Burke trades the the first pick this year for for a more immediate help? I mean, you've got to think that he's no. Really I would starting I, to feel I would think pressure. if they're anywhere in the top ten, that they would move up farther up into the top ten. I think. You know, you want to be in that top five, but if he has something in the top 10, he can package it with a, another player, possibly a defenseman, to a team maybe like Edmonton, uh, who's looking for defensive help. If yeah, Edmonton, and, ha- Edmonton will probably be in that top three. Um, yeah. So that, you maybe, maybe you move a guy, I don't know who they might be interested in, even if it would take somebody like Luke Shen and the, let's say, seventh overall pick to pry away a number two or a number three. You might have to add a little bit more to, to sweeten that deal, but... Um, when you look at a kind of guy that you could take at number three, it might be something that worth exploring. Worth exploring, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I haven't done too much research in terms of uh, players in, in this upcoming draft, other than obviously Nail Yakupov at probably one. Uh, you're hearing a lot about uh, Grigorenko, I think. Grigorenko, yep. And, uh, and then Alex Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk, who, who I actually watched some of the game on Friday night and uh, appears to have been injured again with maybe a separated shoulder. So I don't know if that's really going to hurt his position or if teams are going to take a gamble on him. But if, he's that he's that big body center that could probably could possibly come in right away and make a difference. He's about 6 feet, 200 pounds. I think he's um, a little taller than that. Yeah, sorry. I think he's about 6'2", six, six two. Six two, maybe 6'3", yeah. around 200 pounds. As an 18-year-old, that's pretty impressive. You can only fill out that frame a little bit more. So that's sort of the guy that I've had my eye on. But at the same time, that's a player that might slip down the rankings a little bit, especially if he's injured again, and someone that you might be able to grab at 7 or 8, because um, there are some pretty good defensemen going up there as well. But not a defenseman is not something I think the Leafs should draft in... Um, in, the, in a top 10 pick. No, I, I don't think Burke would be interested in drafting a defenseman in, in that range, and I don't think he should either. Uh, I think we, we've we talked all year long about the depth of this team on D, and not just at the NHL level, but uh, you know in the, in the minors and, and then still in junior. I think uh, this team needs to work or look at getting bigger up front and... Um, and while bringing in size, you know, the size also has, has to have skill. I, I think at this point we need to look for high-end players, uh, one, one more, you know, really strong, talented piece that uh, can complement, you know, Phil Kessel and Joffrey Lupo. You know, I, I think seeing Lupo go down, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago now, uh, you're really starting to see 
you know, maybe there are bigger holes than we thought there were when they were succeeding, you know, in the middle part of the season or earlier part of the season. Yeah, it hasn't helped that Lupul's been gone and, and any measure of secondary scoring has evaporated all altogether. Uh, Grabowski went on that hot streak in January and cooled off a little bit uh, during February, and he's back up to about his average at this point, I'd say. But uh, no scoring from Kuhlman all season. MacArthur is has gone dry a little bit as well. I'm not really getting any offense from the bottom two lines anymore. Uh, I think that really is what uh, is what did the team in. And, and I agree with you in that that's an area that they need to address in having somebody who could, <clears throat> excuse me, play between Kessel and Lupul that will keep them more consistent and, and have a little bit of a trickle-down effect on the roster. Uh, we can talk about the offseason um, a, a bit more l- later on, but uh, let's look at the, the last 10 games of the season. Back to only six points out. Um, is it is it doable? A week ago, I would have called you crazy, and and I probably would have told you that I didn't want to see them win anymore. <laughs> but uh, Washington has a bit of a tough schedule ahead of them. I'm going to pull it up in a second, but they've got some road games against some pretty tough teams, um, and the Leafs not necessarily an easy stretch, but they're playing the majority of their games at home, which makes a difference at this time of, of, of season. Um, looking at the Capitals, who currently sit in eighth, they're at Chicago tonight, at Detroit tomorrow, at Philadelphia on Thursday. So those are three games that they could potentially lose, whereas you look at the Leafs' next three, they are at Boston tomorrow, Monday evening, um, home to the Islanders on Tuesday, at New Jersey on Friday, home to the Rangers on Saturday. Earlier in the year, I would have told you that I thought the Leafs had a good chance to win any one of those games other than Boston. Um, Now I'm not as confident as I was earlier in the season. But the team is starting to get perhaps on a little bit of a roll. Two very good defensive games back-to-back. Maybe they're finally buying in or or understanding and executing Randy Carlyle's system. And if they get on a little bit of a roll, if they win two or three this week and... Washington falters they could find themselves realistically right back into it yeah I I think you make great points I think they are starting to buy into the system Carlisle brings which I mean you have to think is is pretty drastically different than the one that Wilson has been preaching for the last few years and uh and that's that is a big adjustment but it like you said if they start buying into it and, and really executing the way Carlisle wants them to then yeah if they start to get on a run it's definitely possible but I think just because uh, Washington may struggle a bit, you have to consider the the, the number of teams between us and uh, and Washington, and we're going to have to jump. Which is two. Which well, it's two, but I mean, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is right in the thick of it as well. I mean, there there are other teams that you know any any combination of winning streaks for these teams could yeah, be different. Exactly. So let's take a look at the schedules. Winnipeg tonight home to Carolina. They've been dynamite at home lately, so you almost have to expect them to win that game. Uh, But then you've also got a tough schedule as well at Pittsburgh, at Washington, at Nashville. All three currently playoff teams on the road. They have not been that good of a road team. So, you know, they win win one or two, and and the Leafs can eke out three wins. Then, again, you're gaining a couple of points. Uh, Buffalo, who is currently four points ahead of the Leafs, actually. They have at Tampa Bay, home to Montreal, at New York, and home to Minnesota. So they've got a pretty light schedule as well. They got to be pretty feeling pretty confident about themselves. I understand what you're saying with the in respect to the number of teams between Toronto and eighth place, 
But if you look at how quickly it fell apart for Toronto, it could very easily fall apart as quickly for another team. That's not entirely uh, realistic, as that, that was a, a fall of epic proportions, I'd say. But with ten, I guess what I'm trying to say is, with ten games left to go in the season, anything is possible. It will probably take about eight wins for the Leafs to get into the playoffs, which might be uh, a little dreamy. Yeah, I, I think it's the way I, I'm viewing it right now is. It's definitely not over, but it's a very big long shot at this point. And and they just, and I I don't think they've left themselves enough time, really. I mean, ten games seems like a lot, but it's you got to win, like you said, eight, nine, maybe ten. Uh, I think those. the most frustrating part is in that eighteen game stretch or seventeen game stretch where they only won three or four games. You've got to imagine if they play five hundred hockey as opposed to two fifty hockey. They're still right in the thick of things with 10 games left. And it's just so disappointing because they played, I'm going to say they played well all season up until that point. You know, they're a bubble playoff team, but when you look at it in relative terms to how they've played in the last four, five, six, seven seasons, the city was getting excited about probably having playoff hockey back. And I'm, I'm more disappointed for the fans of this team and the fact that they will go an eighth consecutive spring without getting to watch the Leafs in the playoffs and you have to wonder where they sit as a as a team going to next year because this losing streak has exposed a, a lot of holes. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like to consider myself an a, an eternal optimist, so I, I I don't close a door until it's you know officially closed for me. And uh, so yeah, I, I'd like to believe that you know there, there's always hope, there's always a chance. But uh, you know, as you say, yeah, it's been it's been so long now without playoff hockey. I think the city is just. Uh, I think it's just it's fed up, you know. It 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 doesn't really. Uh, it, it, there's like no trust there between. Yeah. Uh, between the, you're the getting fan to base. see a lot more. You say you're the eternal optimist. You're starting to see a lot more pessimistic Leaf fans. There are a lot of people in Toronto who probably don't call themselves Leaf fans. Who you know, when you talk to a Leafs fan, they'll give you the same the same line every time. But I think we're starting to see a lot of Leaf fans start to adopt that mindset as well and almost expect failure at some point during the season. And it's, I, I look at it and Burke came in and he said, you know, there's blue and white disease and there's a losing culture within the room. I mean, I think there's a losing culture in the entire city. Absolutely. And, and do you think that can affect a team? I mean, I would argue that it definitely can. Well, he's, he's starting to go off on this. It's so tough to win in this city. It, it's tough because they haven't won in, in forever. And I think that's certainly adding pressure. But you have to remember that they were a very successful team for almost a decade. So it's not impossible to win in this city. It's not difficult to win in the city. They made the playoffs 10 years in a row. I think maybe it might be difficult for young players to win in this city because they had very veteran teams during those times. But I think it would be foolish of them to get rid of these young players. Let them learn the hard... It's almost like a trial by fire. Let them learn. Let them get their battle wounds as young players in this city. And then as they grow as hockey players, they'll be much better off for it. Don't prepare them to go win in another city. Prepare them to win in this city. Teach them things... I don't know exactly what they can do, but they have to help them out any way they can to be able to succeed as winning hockey players in this city. Yeah, and I, I think you've seen that with some players. I, I think you've. Uh, I look at a guy like Tyler Bozak, who uh, you know he's he's not as young as some of the other guys on the team, but he's really embraced um, you know a big big role on this team as you know, and maybe he's not he was never prepared for that to, to play that big of a role. But I, I look at him and, and even a guy like Luke Shen, I mean, he's struggling on the ice, but he's embraced the, 
the, the pressure of the city. And uh, these are guys that talk to the media and, you know, they, they high five fans when they're coming out um, for warmups and things like that. So I, I don't think, uh, I mean, I agree with you. Some, some players can't handle it or, or maybe uh, it's harder for them to adapt to it. But, um, but I, I think you, you have to kind of push them in and, and uh, you know, head first and, you know, force them kind of to, uh, to learn um, the, the hard way. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, once they become used to it and stuff, it, it only gets easier uh, to perform uh, under that pressure. And, and, I mean, a lot of players actually relish it. I mean, a lot of players, if you find the right pieces and the right personalities, they can, um, they can uh, appreciate that and, and become, you know, uh, better players when the spotlight's on them. Yeah, I agree. The the one thing that I think is uh, it was raised when Randy Carlyle was hired was the worst thing that could happen was that they go on a bit of a run, finish in ninth or tenth, sort of in that no man's land of playoffs and a, and a prime draft position as we've already discussed, and it would send a message to to Berka and management that they saw enough growth or enough positive signs in the last 15 games to to stick with the group so to speak is that's a term that Burke uh likes to use a lot is that what you see potentially happening and to expand that question a little bit more what do you think even if let's say they they win 70 percent of their games and still miss the playoffs what do they need to address who needs to leave um heading into next season that's a that's a big question uh I I think that Unfortunately, I could see that happening where they do go on a bit of a run and, and Burke says, okay, you know what, we're, we're confident that this group performed for the majority of the season and sure they took you know, a bit of a stumble, but uh, we're, we're fairly happy. We obviously need to address a few things, make a couple changes, but we're basically going to stay with the, the same core group of players. And, and the reason I say I'm a little worried that that's going to happen is because I do think that they, they, they need to make um, a somewhat drastic move. And I would have said that anyways. I, I really uh, have been uh, thinking that for a while. I think they need uh, another go-to guy. And I look at a guy like Rick Nash, and you know maybe he doesn't fill that that number one center hole that we've been trying for so long to fill. But um, he, to me, is a player that is avail- first of all available. Uh, you know he he wants to be traded and, and he is the kind of player that has publicly stated that he you know playing in Toronto would be a dream he would like that and you know and he he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would love the pressure but um there's a guy who who's performed on the big state uh, a big a big stage in the past and um and I think he'd take a lot of pressure off a guy like uh Phil Kessel and um whether they play together or not they they could be um you know, both be dynamite players on this team, but you know, not without addressing maybe specific names. I think they do need whether he's a centerman, a winger. Uh, you know, we we need that that big skilled forward, uh, and uh, and whoever he is, I would give up quite a bit for him. So I, I wonder if Burke is. I mean, Burke has publicly stated numerous times he's not gonna he's not gonna throw away the farm system that he's tried and built, you know, for, for the three and a half years he's been here. Uh, and I can understand that, but I think you're going to have to, you know, give up some solid assets in order to get back stuff that you need. And, and this team is not ready to compete for the, for the Stanley cup, let alone, you know, we're, we're, as you said, a bubble playoff team at this point. So, um, yeah. What about in net? Do you, 
think sticking with quote unquote the real deal James Reimer might be the best idea. I was fully confident in in sticking with him heading into this season, although I was weary. And I remember mentioning this to you in the summer, uh, saying that goaltending was the one area I was most weary of in case Reimer stumbled. I didn't think Gustafson was the guy to take over full time. You kind of looked at me like I was crazy that, uh, you know, this is the best goaltending we had in years, which was true. Um, I think Gustafson is done here. Uh, flat out, I think he's done. He, he He's probably going to become a decent goaltender somewhere else, but I think he's done here as an unrestricted free agent. Reimer signed for two more years, so he's obviously coming back. But do you go with him as the number one next year, or do you make a solid move to bring in a guy who will either A, compete with him and push him a lot harder than Gustafson did, or an absolute bona fide starter? I don't know. And there's two names that I'm going to throw out at you yeah, just as uh, examples. Um, for category A, uh, someone who could push him and, and likely be the starter, I'd say Josh Harding, unrestricted free agent from Minnesota. And category B, whether he's available or not, is a guy similar or um, Brian Elliott in St. Louis. You know, the, the Blues are... I, I had mentioned him maybe being a target at the deadline, but you could see why the Blues didn't want, wouldn't want to trade him when they have the best goaltending duo in the NHL. But after this season, I think... Similar to Montreal a couple years ago, they're going to have to make a, a choice, Halak or Elliott. I can't imagine both of those guys want to stick around and not get starters minutes. Which which direction would you rather see the team go? I think I'd rather see the team go the Josh Harding uh, route just because... Uh, actually, let me back up just a bit. I agree that I th- I like Gustafson. I, I want to like him more than I actually do. I picked him as a guy who I thought was going to surprise a lot of people this year and have yeah. a, a breakout, not a breakout, but a strong bounce back season. I think he did, but just still too inconsistent. Too inconsistent, exactly. And, and I think he, you know, it just, there comes a point where you just need to realize, okay, maybe it's time we just, we, we kind of cut ties and you do your thing and we're going to go do our thing. And maybe, hopefully, both sides are better off for it. I'd like to see him succeed on basically any team, but um, preferably in the West. You know, don't have to see yeah. him very much because uh, we've, you know, had a history of being burned by... Don't want the Tuka Rask effect. Exactly. Um, Is that trademark yet? The Tuka Rask effect? It should be if it isn't already. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I would I would suggest going the, the Josh Harding route or, you know, that, that idea uh, of a route just because... I believe in James Reimer still. I I believe that he can be a starting goaltender in this league and a pretty good one at that. But I'm not confident that he can take the reins with no safety net whatsoever. Which was the case this year. Which was the case this year, exactly. And I, I think a Harding type of goalie is someone who would push Reimer and perhaps steal that, that starting that starting spot for just a little bit if... if um, if not completely. So I would look at him just because you're going to, well, you're not going to have to give up any assets other than cap space. As you said, he's, he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. So you're not going to have to trade anything for him. And, uh, and, you know, depending on the length of, you know, term and, and the amount of money you give him, he could, you know, he could be more of a one B goalie as opposed to uh, a guy. um, If you bring in an Elliot or, someone like that you're not maybe not giving up on James Reimer but you're sending a message that you know you're you're kind of going in another direction you're investing in a number one goalie yeah no I, I think that'll be the most interesting area to watch all summer is because 
They they know that they need a goalie at this point. It's not going to be Reimer and Gustafson again next season. Gustafson's an unrestricted free agent, and I'd be shocked if they brought him back. So there will be a new goalie in town next season. Like you, like we said, it's just a matter of uh, the caliber of that goaltender and where they fit on the depth chart. Um, let's go to the defense. Um, the only non the only member of that core without a contract for next season is Cody Franson, who has not really seemed to fit in in Randy Carlisle's system, which is a bit of a shame because he was starting to, I think, really develop in the, the end of uh, Ron Wilson's tenure. Um, and I'm not sure that they'll, they'd be confident with anybody of the seven right now being a number seven defenseman. Uh, I, I can't see the guys agreeing to that. Uh, you know, Gunnarsson and Phaneuf, uh, Commissaric Lyles, Shen Gardner. Uh, and I think it's time for Corbinian Holzer to come up to the NHL. Burke said at the deadline that, if they had been able to move an NHL-level defenseman, he was the guy coming up. They think that he's ready. So um, Franson is an RFA, though. So he's a movable asset. If there's if there's no interest um, in re-signing him, then perhaps he's a trade candidate and could be used to uh, acquire some other some other assets. Is that the, the way that you think they're going to go, at least with the blue line? I, I think it is the way they're going to go. I, I I like Franson though as well. Um, I I wouldn't look at moving him myself, but if he's one of your only options in terms of you know, um, I, I agree going into the next year with with those all seven guys is is probably a mistake. Um, my one concern is you know if uh, Gardner regresses a bit in his second year, you know do we have that? puck moving guy that guy who can skate with the puck not that Franson is is that type of player really but he's I think that's what they see in Lyles though yeah that's true that I mean that that's definitely true but um is Lyles enough um I don't know like you said it's not it's not Cody Franson that's going to be doing that job if Gardner's not no that's true that's true um but it's also not going to be Holzer so I I mean they're going to have to think long and hard about what they're going to do with the D. They've just signed Lyles, so it's not like you're going to move him, I don't think. I yeah. mean, you always could, but I don't see that happening. I'm sure they've tried or are maybe going to try moving Commissaric again just because yeah. of uh, of his contract. Yeah, two and years left? I think he's got two more season? years, yeah. So even to buy him out would be another four. No, yeah. Do you I, think that he could be a, a potential... Uh, Marley's candidate next season. I, I'm saying probably not at this point because Carlisle seems to be a fan of him, or at least he's the guy that he's focusing most on trying to get his game back on track. Yeah, and I think uh, Thomas Eric's a guy who actually and could, he has shown a little bit of improvement. Yeah, and he, he I think he could thrive in in Carlisle's system if you know his system works here. Um, yeah, no, I I. Uh, I I'm not rushing to get Commissaric out of here. I, in fact, I think it's going to be nearly impossible to to do so, even if if that is something that Burke wants to do. But I I don't know if if how interested Burke would be in in burying another multi million dollar contract in the minors. Well, I mean, Jeff Finger comes off the books this he year. He does, so but I mean, it just Commissaric continues. Would be taking that spot. It just continues to look bad. I mean, we are in the top. Uh, I, I don't know the exact. I think we're top five. We're definitely top ten in spending, and. Uh, you know, and that's something that I think you know he's got to be thinking about. He's spending a lot of money here, and he has not made the playoffs. So if you keep if you keep just res- uh, you know resorting to throwing guys in the minors, then you know I I, I don't like the looks yeah, of with, it. Myself. With new ownership coming in, they could say you know this is our money now, not the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. We don't want you throwing this kind of money at a product that's not going to make the playoffs. And I don't want to say it, but it, uh, another year of missing the playoffs. 
could probably be the end of Brian Burke, which some people would argue could be a, a very good thing. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, sticking with the defense quickly, do you think, I think they'll make a run at him, but um, a guy like Ryan Suter. I think they should make a run at him, and I, I think that they'll definitely try. But if they do that, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to move out quite a bit of money on the back end. So uh, it won't be easy to do that. I think that um, I mean, there's any number of reasons why why Burke and company would be interested. I, I, the fact he's American, the fact that he plays a uh, a, a very solid uh, two way game on D, and um, you know Burke's familiar with them. And I think he would thrive under Carlisle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's going to command a lot of money. And first of all, that's money we don't have. And uh, and there's a lot of money committed to uh, to the defense already. So, so it's would, worth you, would you rather see that money sent to uh, a guy like Zach Parise? I th- yeah, I, that that is uh, that's an interesting question. I I think it is. I think our holes are more on on uh up front i mean maybe it hasn't looked that way our our back end has looked uh, pretty porous in many parts of the season but uh, i think that i think that our more of our holes exist up front so i would be more willing to and and more excited if we committed some more money to the front and whether that's um you know through you know just a little bit of cap space that we have and you know the the cap number going up a little bit um or you know moving some from the back to the front uh, from the up you know up to forward but i i would be more interested in, in committing some cap space up front than, than i'm gonna to disagree be. with you because even with this ragtag group of forwards uh that have been very inconsistent and even with the terrible drought of the last month the leafs are still eighth in the nhl in goal scoring whereas they are 28th in goals against I think shoring up, I, and a lot of that has to do with the goaltending, but a lot of that has to do with the blue line as well. Um, because there are too many times where it, you can't blame the goalie. It's it's the defensive play of the, of the team as a whole. And I think shoring up the blue line should be a priority before adding more scoring because you know that you're going to get 35 goals from Kessel, close to 30 from Grabowski, you know, a good 20 to 30 from Lupul probably 20 from MacArthur. And you have to imagine that Kuhlman's going to bounce back next year as well. So I think the offense, while not set, it does need a little bit more added to it. I think a big name addition would be better served on the blue line than up front. A big name on the blue line and small parts here and there to improve what's not working right now would be a better investment, in my opinion. And a little bit of money, obviously, going to the goaltending as well. Yeah, no, I I mean, it, it is hard to argue with that. I just... I view it uh, a little differently in, in just that, you know, we're getting goals, I guess, but we're – maybe it was just Wilson's style that wasn't working for me in terms of, you know, the D being very exposed. But I, I think, um, you know, the the more you control the puck in the offensive zone, that you know, the, the less um, you have to rely on your D and your goaltenders to keep pucks out of your own net. So – yeah, I mean it's it's a that's a it's a good debate to have. I mean that's um that's for sure. But um personally I, I think we need there have been too many times this season where Kessel's been, you know, uh he, he's been contained by the opposing team and our secondary story scoring as you know we've talked about has just been too inconsistent and um 
you know, we we I mean, you can't argue with the fact we're you know top ten in scoring, um, but uh, that that's one area that I view. I I don't think you can you can score enough in my opinion, and and I. Maybe you know I I mean it it things change a bit when with the, with the coaching change I yeah think I agree and with, that's why Wilson's that's why it's so system. tough especially to evaluate in the final twenty games of the season because there's a lot that you're going to want to say okay we need a little bit more of a better look at how this has changed with the coaching change I I sort of disagree with with Burke's idea of wanting a coach to come in before the end of the season. Um, so as to not have to start fresh at training camp. But I think he waited too long, not only in the fact that the team was losing, but in that 20 games is not enough to say, is Commissary going to be a better player under Carlisle? Is, you know, Franzen not going to be a good player under Carlisle? Are any of these players, is this style going to suit the guys that we have? Or do we need to go out and acquire different players to match that philosophy? I don't think the number of games that Carlisle is going to have, it's not, it wasn't even going to be 20 games. I think it's 15, 16, maybe 17 tops. Um, I don't think 17 games is enough to get a true gauge of how these guys are going to perform. And like we said earlier, you're going to, you're going to see flashes of, improvement i think and it it's probably going to result in burke saying i like what we've got that looked pretty good at the end of the season so we don't need to go out and make any drastic changes but i think they do need to make some drastic changes yeah and and one one concern i have is that you know how much do you build your your team and then find the right coach and then how much do you pick your coach and then build your team around i mean wilson and and carl are very very different coaches and this team was built one way. Do you scrap everything? I think they talked about it on on uh, Hockey Night in Canada last night. You know, do you scrap a lot of what you've done because you've made this coaching change? I mean, the, the, some of the philosophies are completely opposite from one another. Yeah. And uh, and how much do you have to change the personnel uh, t- to fit Carlisle's system? Well, I think that's why it's taken so long is because Burke originally built his team and realized that it wasn't going to work with Wilson. Then he started to transition to building it the way that Wilson wanted, and now Wilson's gone. So Carlisle is his guy who plays the game, has this, this or coaches the game, has a style very similar to how Burke wants it. So now he can go back to go, to building the team that he wants. Maybe Carlisle is the guy that they should have had in here in the first place. Obviously, he wasn't available, but a coach with that style. Burke took too long to realize that the style wasn't working first and then took too long to realize that the coach wasn't working. I think what we're going to see is it's not going to be a a huge scrapping of of what they've built so far, but there are definitely going to be, I think, some changes to adjust to Carlisle's uh, needs. They're going to have a change in personnel to to address that. Yeah, no, I I think that's uh, those are all. And we saw that already with, with Rose Hill. Can't agree with that roster move, though, especially when you only have four call-ups after the deadline. And I like that they brought up Carter Ash and get a look at him, but I can't help but think that seeing Kadri one more time or Colborn one more time this season would have been a good idea. But, you know, at the same time, I don't think they want to disrupt them. Similar to Dallas Eakins, they don't want to disrupt them with the Marlies. The Marlies are, are primed to go on a, a Calder Cup run, hopefully, um, you know, their first first in their division. Um, would like to get out to see a couple... Marley. I've seen one game this year, but uh, I think once the playoffs roll around, I'll probably probably go check out a game or two. Yeah, I think it would be really worthwhile. And you know, if if the Leafs don't make the playoffs, which is looking more and more uh, as though that will be the case, you're going to see a guy or a couple guys, Fratton, Ashton, and and Gardner yep. uh, down there as well. So I think they're poised to to make a big run, and 
And, uh, yeah, I, I know I'll be trying to get out to a couple yeah. games. All right, well, that is it for us today. Some pretty good talk. Hopefully you found it as insightful as we uh, thought it was when, when we were discussing it. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter at Dinick, D-I underscore N-I-C, at Seanovision, uh, and Rasudo 99 He's not with us today, but certainly in our thoughts, hopefully he's feeling better soon. And thank you to our technical producer, Dane Sloan, coming in with the uh, fancy microphones and recording equipment and all that. And even if you didn't like what we had to say, I think we probably still sounded pretty good audibly. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the Odd Man Rush podcast on leafswire.com.